counseled by the Holy Ghost to the church. You know, a lot of times we look and we, we identify with a personality who is the, the, the writer or the penner of the download, but it was the Holy Ghost that inspired it. Paul really capitalized on it in 2 Timothy 3, 16. He said, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. He said, all scripture is profitable. And A, it's inspired by God. Because it's inspired by God, you and I can put faith in it. Amen? In Jude, verse 3, again, he wrote this, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you. And that is an exhortation is something that's a little more to get our attention. Amen? It's not just communication. Exhorting is like, hey, Hey, you need to be sober. Okay, it's not, it's not a correction. It's not a rebuke. It's an exhortation. Danny, you need to be sober in these days. Tyler, you need to be sober spiritually. Amen? Lisa, you need to be sober spiritually. That's an, an exhortation. It's, not a, it's not, nothing harsh, but it's to help. Whoa, exhort, exhortations really help punch it up a little bit. They, they, they take our attention. They raise our attention base. They raise our, our faith level. An exhortation can do it. So he's saying, I saw it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once delivered for all, to, to, delivered, sorry, to the saints. So here's the exhortation. Contend earnestly for the, your faith. And for the faith of the gospel, not your faith, for the faith of the gospel. Because people, some people's faith could be twisted. Amen? So don't just contend for your faith. Contend for the faith. Now, my faith needs to align with the faith. Amen? Say it. My faith needs to line up with the faith of God. With God's faith. Amen? So he's saying we need to contend for it. And listen, we're in living in an hour more than any hour before in the history of the church. As Pastor Carrie was ministering, that was beautiful because it's so scriptural. The days are getting darker. And listen, I wanted to address something, too, as we have contended for the faith and prayer for the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh as a superior court judge. I believe if anybody watched the hearings, it was an embarrassment. But you know what? The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. So even though a quote-unquote person had changed his mind, that one senator, the Republican senator, he changed his mind because he was really bullied. But all things work together for good to those who love God and are called to his purpose. Now, many people are concerned that additional smears could come out against him. But you know what he and his family are doing? They're contending for the faith. How many people 
in the kingdom are contending for the faith that a, a godly person, not a perfect person, but a person that's more prone to the scripture, a person more prone to the actuality and content of our constitution. He is a constitutionalist. He's not a, more, more so than Republican or a Democrat. He's a constitutionalist. Hallelujah. Say, so getting back to the roots. That's what we need in this nation. We don't need people changing our constitution. There was an intent. People would love to change the Bible. A lot of folks would like to change the Bible or even the context of the Scripture. If you get off the context of Scripture, you can get yourself in trouble. Say context. It's absolutely essential when we read and interpret the Word of God. So here he's saying, and uh, contend for the faith. Contend earnestly. Say earnestly. So there's an activity that you and I need to uh, see as a part of our daily routine, if I could say it that way. There's something you and I need to, we need to evaluate. We need to stop for a little bit once in a while. Take those moments and say, evaluate our, our Christian walk. Evaluate our disciplines. It's good for you and I to evaluate the, our spiritual disciplines. Amen. Listen, we can get into the works of discipline. It can be, it seems like it's a fine line sometimes between the working and developing of spiritual disciplines and then the actual, like what we were sensing in this praise service. I tell you what, I was getting charged. Hallelujah. You talk about, you know, Jude said also down verse 20, um, praying, uh, building yourself up on your holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Amen. He gets down a little bit further there. The importance of praying in the spirit does what? And I was always taught this way. That if your battery starts to run low and you put a charger on it, that's what praying in tongues does to our spirit. It's like putting a charge on our spirit. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. So praying in the spirit. Absolutely essential. Absolutely essential. So you and I need to contend earnestly for the faith that you and I have. And listen, I want to say this. Our faith is designed to continually grow from day to day, from glory to glory. God doesn't want you and I to live only off yesterday's faith. That's a, that helps to establish a foundation. But you and I are called as disciples of the Lamb to continue to grow every day in the knowledge of, and light of the Word of God. And not only the knowledge in the action, the activity of the Word. See, there's something that's, again, so intimidated by the devil. Church people... And this is part of the design. Now, I'm not saying this directly. This is just a general statement, but it absolutely applies generally to a, lo a large part of the body of Christ. They are indifferent in their walk in the Lord. Many people are indifferent in their walk in the Lord. They're still doing their duties, but they're missing the intimacy with the Father. There's such joy that comes out of this secret place. We need to protect and abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Amen. Oh, well, you don't know my schedule. I know your schedule's screwed up if you're not getting time in the secret place. How about that, about your schedule? Nothing personal. But, yeah, it can be personal. <laughs> you can apply it personally. We have no excuses for being out of the secret place. We do ourselves harm when we, we don't prioritize the secret place. We do ourselves harm. Why would we harm ourselves? Why would we do ourselves harm? 
Why would we do intentionally wrong to ourselves? Many Christians are bulimic. And what's the other one, the twiggies? Anorexia. Many Christians have anorexia, spiritual anorexia. They eat the word and they vomit it up. I'm not I'm trying to be coy or funny here. I'm just telling you, a lot of folks, that seems to be the experience. And I'll tell you what, we need breakthrough. I know breakthrough is coming. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, how's it come? By faith. Only faith pleases God, beloved. So, again, back to here, to contend. This word contend means a few different things, and please write it down. It first of all, means to struggle. Struggle earnestly for your faith. Interesting. Amen? Well, what do you mean? I thought the Christianity wasn't supposed to be a struggle. No, there's a, a struggling in, within the confines of being a Christian. And I think when I think of struggle and contending for the faith... Paul so brilliantly in Romans chapter 8 paints a picture to you and I that there's a contrast and a battle going on between the flesh and the spirit. Our flesh is at enmity with our spirit. Our flesh thinks it because it had its own way for so long. And our flesh led our spirit for so long. Listen carefully. Yes, we're a spirit being, we have a soul, and we live in a body. But until you and I got born again, a large part of our decision-making was based on the intents and lusts of our flesh. So we have a culprit to deal with. Our flesh itself and the lusts and desires that we have, are they in line with God? Are the desires you and I have, and, uh, you and I have are they in line with the Word? Are they in line with His will and intent and purpose? You and I are going to live forever somewhere. And I pray that everyone in here has chosen heaven. Amen? Well, let's go on. It, first of all, it means to struggle. It also means to compete for a prize. Contend earnestly for the faith in you. Not on Sundays only. Not on prayer nights only. Not on refueling services or special meetings. Every day of our life. We're to contend. We're to compete for a prize. And I want to share something with you. I've said it here before, but I think it will bless you if you hear it. If you hear it. Not just acknowledge it. The difference between a professional athlete and an amateur athlete. An amateur athlete competes against others. A professional athlete competes against him or herself. They require more of themselves. They discipline themselves to be the best they can be every time they hit the court or hit the field. Amen. Navy SEALs, special forces, they do the same thing. They train every day. They train every day for every in any assignment that can pop up at any time. You know, the scripture says be instant in season and out of season. There's a discipline in these special forces that's not in the regular army. The good news is anybody can try out for it. Hallelujah. Amen. And if you can make it through the boot camp, bud camp with the seals, guess what? You're on your way. 
you're still going to have, endure things that you never dreamed of. <laughs> you know, you talk to some or see some of the programs on their training. It's insane. Hallelujah. Staying up for, you know, 48 hours and still required to follow through with an assignment, a mission. How do you do that? Being able to hold your breath for four minutes or longer underwater as you approach an enemy. Come on. Huh? <laughs> Hang on, Joe. So, to compete for a prize. So, if I'm an athlete, if I'm a, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, there's a prize. And Paul talks about a prize that you and I need to have in front of us, a goal. The prize is the high calling, fulfilling the high calling of Jesus Christ in my life. And your prize is fulfilling the high calling of God in your life. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, that's, and if, we're all responsible to be fruitful, to multiply, replenish, subdue, and have dominion. Yes, that's mentioned a lot here. Why? Because we need to get it. That's God, God's original re will revealed to mankind, for mankind. To be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish, to subdue, and have dominion. Paul brings it over in Romans 5.17 and says, If by one man death reigned through sin, how much more shall we reign in life through the one Jesus Christ? We're called to reign in life. R-E-I-G-N. To what? Have dominion. He wants you and I to mature to a place where we are those qualitative, mature saints of God. Mature ones. Walking in the love of God, but walking in the faith of God. Walking in the power of God. One of the most um, acclaimed apostles of faith was a man named Smith Wigglesworth. The miracle accounts of, through, of the Holy Ghost through his ministry are phenomenal, just phenomenal. But he believed in healing and miracles. Would you all agree with that? Anybody knows anything? You read anything? But in one of his prayer lines, blood was running down his legs as he was passing a kidney stone. Oh, where was his faith? It was healing a bunch of folk, bringing a lot of miracles to pass. His earth suit was giving him a problem. At the same time, are you here? The apostle of faith and blood's running down his leg as he's passing a kidney stone in a prayer line. Did he give in to the malady? Uh-uh. Did he take care of it afterwards? Yeah. Charles Capps, another great teacher of the word of God, he said one time, it's Christian science to say that you're not, if you're suffering with sickness, to say that you're not sick. If you're sick, you're sick. It's not yours. It's not your sickness. It's a, a sickness. Don't deny the sickness. Deny its right to operate in your body. Amen. If you get into this place, well, I'm not sick because, uh, you know, by faith and you're suffering with something, 
That's why a lot of people have died prematurely. They ignored symptoms and they didn't deal with things. Well, glory. Let me come over into the wisdom mode. Amen. Praise God. You know, I, when we had the uh, different things, were, thank God for medical science and the technology we have right now. You know, when uh, some, my blood pressure was coming up a little bit, you know, my blood pressure began to rise. They say it happens with age. Well, old proverbs say use head for more than a hat rack. I got on a mild medication to help lower blood pressure, blood pressure medicine. I'm still working my faith. Amen. Then they, there was concern because one of the tests showed a partial, it looked like a clogging of the artery, of the main artery de descending from the heart. And I'm like, okay, so what do you do? Well, I believe by his stripe I'm healed. I believe that. I believe we have a covenant with Almighty God that healing is our portion. Healing is the children's bread. Amen. It was disconcerting. My bride was more concerned about it than I was because men can be gooberheads and just write it off. You know, uh, praise God, we'll just bust through it, you know. More testosterone in Jesus' name. We're going to contend for it. Fight earnestly. But this little voice on the inside said, go with the catheterization. And I went with the voice, the still small voice. Why? I come out. I'm sitting there on the bed right before the, process, the procedure occurs. I'm, I'm still using wisdom. I believe I used wisdom. You can think what you want. I think I used wisdom because it's called the widow maker, the one they thought was clogged. While I'm on that bed, I look like a reverse Garfield. I'm not on the, the window glued like this, you know. I'm on the bed like this, and something's going on in my chest. And I didn't, it was so early in the morning, I didn't connect the dot. The church here, late prayer, they came up and joined and prayed over me. for, And uh, it was decreed by the church here. Uh, arteries, uh, clean arteries, you know, no obstructions in the name of Jesus. And we're all in agreement. I'm on the bed and I'm getting a, I don't realize God's doing a procedure before I go in for the procedure. We went in, he did all three main arteries in the heart and came out and said, you know, when I woke up, he said, you're good. Everything looks good. Hallelujah. Praise God. Say the word works. Wisdom was still to walk through a process and get proper evaluation. A lot of times, you know, that way, listen, I know great men and women of God used mightily in healings and miracles that died prematurely because they avoided and didn't deal with the symptom. Brother Ken Copeland said this one time, and it's not a criticism. He said, if you need to ask me if you need, if you should go to a doctor, he said, you already answered yourself. Go to a doctor. There's no, there's no, nothing wrong going to doctors. God, Luke was a doctor for crying out loud. Amen. Faith, we need to enjoy each other's faith. We need to enjoy, but I'm going to say this too. On this subject, and we're, I need to get here. On this competing for a prize. It also means in this word contending earnestly for the faith. 
to endeavor to accomplish something. You and I need to accomplish something. When you and I put our head to the pillow at night and we're saying, Lord, thank you for this day, and I would encourage you to start incorporating that before you go to bed. Father, thank you for this day. I bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you for your life in me. And I pray, Lord, that I got everything done today that you wanted me to get done. Amen. And if you didn't, just say, Lord, forgive me for not getting some of the things that I believe you're leading me to do. Give me another shot at it tomorrow. Amen. Just, it's just, there's disciplines. The more you pray, the more you fellowship with God, the more you fellowship with each other, there's going to be a greater synergy, a conviction to live the life, to walk the walk and talk the talk. Amen. I would have liked to hang around with Lester Summerall and Smith Wigglesworth. That would have been pretty cool. There's still people like that in the world today. Amen. My mom always said, show me your friends and I'll tell you what you are. I hated that. <laughs> I said, Mom, I hang around with a bunch of crazies. <laughs> she said, huh? <laughs> well... <laughs> thank god for get saved amen so we're going to contend for the faith <laughs> let me get my computer woke up here i love you mom hallelujah i read that poem last week but the church has a voice you and i have a voice in the world and again, this is redundant. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. You are. You're the light of the world. Everyone in this room today, Jesus, the Lord, Savior and Master said, we're his light. We're light bearers. And we need to be good light bearers. Amen. Whew. So Jude made this declaration, but I want you to go to something with me. Go to Psalm 119, verse 105 with me. We're going to get into some stuff today. I want to, we're going to look at somebody's life that we're very familiar with. But Psalm 119, verse 105, David said, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let's say it together. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Say it again. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Not reason. Not habit, not routine. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Amen. Now, verse 130, Josh, use the New King James, if you would. Verse 130, the entrance of your word gives light. Let's read it together on the screen. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Say it again. 
The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Now, you can be the most intelligent person. You can be a savant. But if you're not in the word, you're still in the simple category. The foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of any man on the planet. Amen? So his word, the entrance of it, how does, you, how does it get into us? By reading, by hearing, by speaking. Amen? That's how we get that light that guides us in life into us. By hearing, reading, amen, and speaking. Say hearing. Speaking and reading. Amen. Any of the above. Any way you want to mix it. Because God has given us authority to rule and reign, the way we do that is through our words and our actions. Amen. Don't forget, I, I talked about it last week. You and I have an enemy. The devil is very real and his cohorts. Familiar spirits are real. They're assigned to family trees. Familiar spirits are. Spirits of darkness. They're assigned to a family tree. When a person gets saved in that family tree, the potential for that continuance going on down the family tree can be stopped, broken, and you get your breakthrough. That family tree gets a breakthrough into God's righteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sometimes it skips a generation, but we can get that breakthrough back into the righteousness of God and then take a position and stand for our family tree. And God wants you and I to do that, and we have authority to do it. And no weapon in hell can stop your faith declaration from coming to pass. Hallelujah. The devil wants to keep the church silent. The devil wants to keep the church silent. Now, this is, I'm going to speak this to you the way I wrote it. The church in general, by intimidation and indifference, has in a great way become silent and impotent. The church globally by intimidation and indifference. You talk about intimidation? I looked at Brett Kavanaugh through that hearing and my heart, I was like, I don't want to tell you all my thoughts. I had to crucify a lot of them. What I wanted to do to some of the people in that room. I just, but I was like, Time for Gethsemane. <laughs> Not my will, but your will be done. Great are you that's in us than he that's in the world. Too, too much prayer has gone up for this to be a loss. Go with me to First Samuel verse seven, chapter 17, please. I want to give you an example of intimidation to try to keep not only, well, just say in general, the people of God, silent and impotent, unable to produce 
Hallelujah. But I also am going to, we're going to see the conclusion of what happens when you use what you hear. Remember we started this whole thing off about hearing? Remember the importance of how we talked about Jesus saying, take heed what you hear. Amen? We had those instructions. 1 Samuel 17. Of course, this is when the Philistine army and the army of Israel are gathering together. Let's, let's start with verse 1. The Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sokoh, which belongs to Judah, they encamped between Sokoh and Azekah in that place. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath, from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet and on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and shield-bearer went before him. And then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel, a type of Satan. Goliath was a type of the, he's an enemy of the people of God in context. Amen? Amen? Preach back at me. Amen. He is a type of shadow of Satan or demonic enemy in a physical form. And he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. I defy this entire army. I defy the army of God. We're talking about a monster. Amen. So what did he, what did the Philistines use to paralyze the people of God? Fear. Fear. And I want to say this to you. 
any fear that we have falls into a category. Uh, there's a source for, for fear. Yes, it can be demonic, but it's also the result of ignorance. Fear is the result of a lack of knowledge. Say it with me. Fear is the result of a lack of knowledge, a lack of confidence in what God has promised. It's the truth. And verse 11 says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were intimidated. The intimidation of this giant warrior. Say giant warrior. Okay. That, that was who he was in the natural. But he was just that. He was a freak, freakish man of stature. He was the result of Nephilim going back into Genesis 6, but we won't go there right now. There were giants again in the land. He had four brothers that were equal in size, giants. Amen? And they had a demonic purpose. Now, here is a, let's think of Goliath because it was so, sub, so, so extraordinary. And I, want to say, I don't want to say superhuman, but certainly awkward human. Amen? But fear struck even King Saul, who was the tallest of all Israel. Interesting. It's pretty interesting. The night before the first election for President Obama, at prayer, the Holy Ghost said to me before it concluded, he said, the people have asked for a king. And I thought, oh, there goes the election. Because I knew exactly what he was talking about. The people had asked for a king, and they, God gave them the king they asked for. Very tall, Saul was. Interesting. Amen. So they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The entire, entire army of Israel was in fear and at that point in time made impotent and silent. What kind of battle is this? Think about it. Right now, Physically, and at that time, it looked like the enemy had the edge. Amen? Sometimes in our situations in life, it feels like the situation has an edge on us. Sometimes it seems like there's a Goliath in our path or in our experience. Sometimes it seems like a mountain like, that it seems to be immovable. But if we connect with God's faith, mountains are going to move. And giants are going to fall. And so I want, th that should just kind of like, just like, whew, yeah, I need to hear this again. I'm very familiar with David and Goliath. I love the story of David and Goliath. Amen. Because it gives hope in me that if I can connect with David's relationship with God and, and, and pursue 
What would, the, what would it say? To contend earnestly, to compete for a prize. If I can compete with myself to maintain that kind of stature and that kind of heart that so pleases the Father that he says, Ray, you're the apple of my eye. Glory to God. I love you. He did that with David, even with his mistakes, even with his sin. He's the apple of my eye. Because God knows heart, the heart of hearts. Say heart of hearts. See, God knows your heart of heart. And I'll tell you what, today because, well, thank you for saying that. I just, <laughs> God sees you and I in a way we don't see ourselves yet. So David had a voice, and let's just continue here in this story. Now, David, verse 12, was the son of that Ephrodite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons were those guys. Verse 14, David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself for 40 days, morning and evening, to taunt 40 days in their face, taunting the army of God. Then Jesse said, I always was kind of like puzzled about this. There's protocol and more. And, you know, it used to be, and even street gangs sometimes back in the days, the leader of one gang would challenge the leader of the other so they wouldn't have this big brawl with chains and knives and bats and all this other stuff. Your best man against our best man. They fight it out, duke it out, best man, boom, 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 you know, the turf war, whatever it was. So if I was the Philistines with Goliath, I mean, my thought is, this is war. Let's go across the valley and kick their butt. They're in fear. Amen? Right? But no, that wasn't the protocol. They had a protocol. VeggieTales had an amazing portrait of this thing. You ought to watch it sometimes. <laughs> the giant pickle. Anyway. <laughs> I know you're a mean guy. <laughs> Veggie Tales was amazing. Let's go on. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Philistine drew near and presented himself for 40 days and 40 evenings. Jesse said to his son, David, take now for your brothers an ephah of the dry grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare. And bring back news of them. Very optimistic. Now Saul and they all, the men of Israel, were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for battle. Now you got to see this picture. Oh! <laughs> hitting the spears, the javelins, and looking at each other. That was the fight. They're not engaged in swords and all this other stuff yet. Goliath is still the point person waiting. Amen? But they would come to battle, and they'd all the armies would holler at each other because there was, that was part of a war protocol. 
holler, taking a place of, like, you know, you, you're fierce. And they took this place of being fierce, but yet had no chutzpah. You can shout all you want at the devil, but you better have something behind it. I said, you can shout all you want, but you better have something behind it. What verse we at? 21. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion. There was the champion. Now, David at this time, history says, was either like 16 or 17 years of age, somewhere in that kind of age group. He was a teenager. The Philistine, yeah, a teenager. There was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, so David heard them. Church has a voice. The devil has a voice. The church has a voice. The kingdom of darkness has a voice. The kingdom of light should have a voice. The kingdom of darkness has a voice. That's happening. Every day. In the realm of the spirit. Amen. Then as he talked with them, Goliath comes up. He spoke the same words. Verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Sometimes the enemy is going to challenge you and I in the promises of God, in our experiences in our life, in a way so intimidating. So intimidating to cause fear or paralysis to hit us, to cause us to, to hesitate. I want to say this something. You know, you don't hesitate in war. You don't wait for your enemy to have first shot. I said, you don't wait for the enemy to take the first shot. You take the first shot. You want one witness and it's you. Hallelujah. Amen. What's the witness? He challenged me. He came at me to kill me. Boom. Done. Well, you don't seem scared. Well, he pointed a gun, and I pointed mine. Done. Amen? Well, anyway. Verse 25. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man? Has, who has come up? They're saying it to David. Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And there are voices that defy the church. And it shall be the man who kills him. The king will enrich. Listen, David's... David. David didn't ask for this information, but he got it. The man who kills him, this giant, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. That would be pretty cool in New Jersey to get exempt from taxes. <laughs> Amen. Then David spoke to them who stood by him saying, what should, in other words, they were saying, 
Give me what? What did you just say? Could you repeat that one more time? David seventeen. Yeah. Could you give me? Yeah. Please. I don't think I heard what you just said. What? What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? But he says this. Say David has a voice. Say, faith has, a voice. faith has a voice. David saw the same giant that the entire army of Israel saw. He's a teenager, guys. Please don't. Let, I mean, we, we need to get a hold of this. Why did David have this demeanor opposed to the entire army of Israel? Because of his relationship with God. He fellowshiped with the father. He fellowshiped in that sheepfold. He fellowshiped with God. He was a worshiper. He had an intimate relation with almighty God. He knew they had a covenant. He knew, and, and I bet you part of his competing for a prize and part of him contending earnestly for his faith, David, that he would reflect on the scripture and the promised Abraham, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Your friends will be my friends and your enemies are my enemies. See, David reflected on that stuff. Man, God, my enemies are God's enemies. Hallelujah. You know, I should put a little leap in our step on a daily basis anyway. If we thought about it. Amen. I'm the friend of God. I bless Israel. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. So he gets the, he gets the low down. Who is, let, let's repeat this verse again. He spoke to the men. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Look at the perspective. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he, I'm going to include a word, dare deny or defy the armies of a living God? David didn't see a giant. He saw a bigger target. He didn't see a giant that couldn't be beaten. He saw a target he couldn't miss. Now, you have to think about something. From the time he was a kid, caring for the sheep, he began to use that slang. He was taught how to use that. So while he's out there worshiping God, hanging out, making sure the sheep are protected, he understood that his responsibility was to be able to kill any predator, at least chase them. To protect the flock. He got so good with that slang that, bam, he could hit a target just like you and I shooting at a gun range or something. It wasn't like, you know, I mean, it was like he was accurate with this thing. Say accurate. And God, listen, God prepared him for this. In the midst of doing his responsibilities in life, which was his job, 
family business. Amen. He developed his craft because he wanted to so please his father, earthly father, as well as his heavenly father, that he developed that skill that not one sheep would fall prey to a predator. Not one. Amen. Didn't matter if it was a fox and small. Didn't matter. And we know with some of the stuff that he had to kill. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I want you to get it, man. I mean, he was like. A teenager. Like. I mean, you got I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those things and you look and you have that face fixed like a flint like Jesus did towards Jerusalem. You have your face fixed towards that enemy like you're mine. Today you fall. Come on. This is David. You are my shepherd, I shall not want. You lead me in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. It's a song. Amen. Who is this uncircumcised Palestinian? I just want to contrast. He's not bipolar. He has a righteous anger. Next verse. Next verse, Joshi. And the people answer him in this matter, saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard what he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness, you filthy thing? Snot-nosed kid. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, but you've come out to see the battle. David said, look at this words. Say, David has a voice. You have not. Now, you and I have a voice. When we're facing unprecedented challenge, You and I need to get this word in our mouth. Is there not a cause? Is the situation I'm in? Am I not poised for a cause? What is the cause? To prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's the cause you and I walk in every day. Every challenge, every, any, all the good things and all the challenging things. There's a cause. And you and I are there to bring the cause solution into reality. We're there to make a difference. There's a cause. Say there's a cause. What? That God's word be vindicated. That God's word be established. That God's kingdom come. And the will of God done. Say there's a cause. And I am part of the answer. Say it. I'm part of the answer. Amen. Next verse, Joshi. Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Go. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Listen, he's saying this to the king. King, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. 
Now you think about Saul. Saul's standing about six four. And here's David, five six, five seven. Yeah. I want to tell you, the words David spoke pierced the hearts of those hearers. What kind of words were they? Faith-filled words. Not just name it and claim it. He knew what he was saying. He believed what he was saying. Because he knew who he was because of whose he was. He knew he had a covenant. And I'll tell you what. There's another thing that we got to get here again and be taught again about. is our covenant with God. Covenant needs to be taught. You and I have a covenant with Almighty God Himself. Next verse. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Say words. Now listen, the friends that surrounded Job had a lot to say to Job, but they got rebuked. And God had his fill of people saying, things to other saints. Be careful. And I think it was even communicated today when Pastor Kyrie said something about Christians. Like, be careful about Christians. Because they can give you wrong advice and things from their perspective that's not quite on track or on target with God. Now, we need to love each other and be able to give each other room and grace. Amen. But Brother Hagin always said, swallow the hay and spit out the sticks. Saul said to David, you're not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him. What was happening there? Fear and doubt and unbelief. Doubt and unbelief was trying to disqualify the faith that was in David's heart. Amen? You see, you see that, right? You all see that? For you're a youth and he is a man of war from his youth. Next verse, Joshi. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. Let me give an account. Say, give an account. Every one of us should be able to say, let me give you an account of my faith. Let me give you an account of my encounters with God and what he did on my job. <laughs> Amen. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep when a lion in one situation or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock. Next verse. I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard, struck it, and killed it. So you get the job done. So you don't play with this thing. We have an enemy. We need to annihilate it. Next verse. But David, I'm sorry, your servant has killed both lion and bear. Let me give you a history, king. Of why I'm speaking the way I am. Bears can be real big. Amen. We don't know if it's one of these. Yeah, well, big, you know. I, listen, I don't want to face any bear. Amen. I want to have the right weapon if I do. I don't mind having a bear skin on the wall. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Listen to the words. What is coming out of our mouth lately? 
and the challenges that any of us face. Are we holding fast to the promise of God? Listen, guys, and that's when it gets tough. Because our, our flesh wants to agree with the situation at times. It's at enmity with the spirit. Our flesh wants us to cower. It messes with the soul, the will, intellect, and emotion. It wants to, it wants to dominate. And that's why Paul said crucify that flesh. Keep that flesh shut up. Make that flesh be the spirit servant, not the spirit servant the flesh. Amen? Your servants killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine, this t- king, this huge target. Glory to God. He will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. And David, think about this. David knew his covenant with God, but he also knew his, God's covenant with his whole people. And he's looking at the whole entire people of God that are represented in this army, cowering, impotent, silent. Go ahead. Next verse. Moreover, David said, the Lord, <laughs> the Lord will deliver me from the paw of the lion. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. You got something I ain't got. Amen. The king, the tallest man in all of Israel's above shoulder, above everyone. Go ahead. Go ahead, son. So Saul clothed David with his armor. I want to say this. Somebody else's armor is not going to work for you. You need to have your own armor. Say armor on, not armor all. Armor on. We get too relaxed in our Christianity. We forget that we're not, we have an adversary. And I'm not saying being demon conscious. I'm saying being God conscious. Now you, the more we are in tune with the Holy Ghost, the more we'll be discerning of spirit, the spirit realm. The more you pray in the Holy Ghost. Why is it so emphasized that goodness? Because it connects us and makes us more sensitive to the voice of the Holy Ghost. Praying in the spirit. Language. Heaven has a language. And it's the language of the spirit. It's the language of the word. Amen. The knowledge of the word and the language of the spirit. I could say it that way. Saul said, clothed David with his armor, put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with the coat of mail. Go ahead, Joshi. David fastened his sword to his armor, tried to walk, and he had not tested them. David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for have not, uh, for have not tested them. So David took them off. I can't fight with your armor, king. That would have been a pretty funny deal anyway. I mean, the dude was so much taller. But go ahead. David, next person. Then he took his staff. Look at, he took his weapons. Say my weapons. The weapons God gives you is his word and his spirit. Paul used it so eloquently in Ephesians 6. He said, take the full armor of God, and he gets to the sword of the spirit, which is able to divide sword and spirit and soul, right? Joint and marrow. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That is the weapon we use. Glory to God. Jesus used it when he was tempted. The devil came at him and used the scripture, tried to trip him up with scripture. And Jesus said, it is written. Let me bring the context in context. Right? It is written. You want to win battles? Don't say, this is what I think. 
it is written. This is what I believe. Listen, that's where the faith begins to go out of you and I. That's where there's a substance that begins to flow through our very being. It's communicated through our words and our actions. That's why Paul said, hey, man, you can talk the talk, but I want to show you what I believe by what I do. You're going to know and understand, fully comprehend, understand and comprehend what I believe because of what you see me do. Amen? So, he took a staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. We have both words coming out of David, what he believed, and now we see the actions backing up his words. Amen? You and I need to back up our words with our actions. Next verse. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. (laughs) Go ahead, bud. And when the Philistines looked about and saw David, the Philistine, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Now, I want you to see that picture. But let's you and I be the audience in the army looking on at this scene. What would you, do you think began to happen to the people and the people in the army, the army of God there? To see David's faith. What did that begin to infect them with? What did his, not only his words, but his actions begin to stir up on the inside of them? Courage. Come on. Courage. Say courage. I'm sorry. I can't help thinking of courage. (laughs) If I only had a brain. Anyway. (laughs) Courage. (laughs) Next verse. And the Philistine said to David, I want you to see the conversation here. Light is spoken. Darkness speaks. Light speaks. Darkness speaks. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, let's put it on record. You come to me with a sword, a spear, and with a javelin. Put this on record. Stenographer, please get this. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. Next verse. Stay with me, Josh. This day, say declaration. Job twenty two twenty eight says to you and I, in life and through our experience, decree a thing and it will be established. And light will shine on your way. When we decree something, we do it in faith. And we believe, like Jesus said, believe you receive the things you ask when you pray. 
Believe you receive the things you decree when you decree, and you shall have them. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Next verse, Josh. Stay with me. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. The battle is the Lord's, but weapons still had to be executed. Faith had to be in motion. It had to be spoken and in motion. Amen? The battle is the Lord's. Now, listen, what's that mean? That means God's got our back. He confirms his word with signs following. Amen? <laughs> what word of God and faith message are we given in our circumstances? I'm just saying, hey, let, let's rethink this. Let's believe and make sure. Let's reevaluate what we have said and what, what we've said that maybe undermined the faith we had at one point. I remember one minute... Uh, he was in the Word of Faith camp, but he ministered at our church, and he said, I've learned something in my experience. He said, whenever you are in the valley or facing giants, he said, always remember what you said when you were on the mountaintop. And when you're on that valley or in that low point, you speak and say what you did when you're on the mountain. Come on. They're going to know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battles of the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Next verse, Josh. You almost done? Yep. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David. Look at this. I'm telling you what. I, I love this scene. David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Shepherd's clothes. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into the forehead. Think about that. What kind of skill did he develop to the place where he not only you know, took a sling and hit the stone or hit the object, they hit it with such force? The human skull of this monster that the stone was like embedded in it. Sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. What did he, did he decree something? Your head's coming off today. So. David ran and stood over the Philistine, took Goliath's sword. Oh, you talk about insult to injury. Took his own sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. What's the story about? David had the heart of God. And he contended earnestly for his faith. 
And in this case, it was a young age. But none of us, all of us rather, are positioned in Christ to have the same tenacity. Everyone in this room is a winner. According to the word. That may not be your experience to date in all cases. But I got news. Every, and I, I wrote this down. Every lost battle, we're in a war. Sometimes we may, we may not win every battle. But we have the promise of winning the war. But I want to say this. Any lost battle in our experience is going to have an effect one way or the other. It can either be a stumbling block or a stepping stone. The devil wants any battle that seemingly we lose to be a stumbling block to our moving forward in, in, in the kingdom of God. But if you and I look at it right and let it be a learning curve, okay, I see where I missed it. I saw how, why I lost. I see why I lost that battle. I'll not lose it again. Amen? I'll say I'll not lose it again. Everybody say, I'll not lose it again. Uh, say, I'm, uh, amen. Let's purpose in our heart not to lose any. But should we, let it be a stepping stone. Okay, I'm going to learn from this, and I'm going to get better. And when the enemy faces me, I want to so know how to use the weaponry of God to plant a stone right between his eyes. What do you think fell there with Goliath? Why five stones? I said it earlier. He had four other brothers. And David was ready to not only take him out, but I'll take any one of those four other four turkeys if they want to come out. And that, he wasn't brazen. He wasn't cocky. He had faith that was immovable. He saw things from heaven's perspective. He saw things from a covenant per base. Please don't ever forget. And please allow these messages to inspire you and I. to We would pursue, as Jude advised us, to contend earnestly for the faith you and I have. And sometimes it's a struggle. Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, world forces of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. It's not flesh and blood that you and I battle. You know, you can look at that. Uh, let me give you a synopsis. When I looked at the hearing and of both Professor Ford and then Brett Kavanaugh, <clears throat> and I watched the activity. I, wanna, I wanted to watch the hornet's nest. And I was trying to really tune in to what was happening in the spirit realm in that room. And it was unbelievable what was going on in that room. I don't see it as a loss. I know people will have a lot of different opinions, but I believe that all things will work together for good to those who love God and are called to his purpose. I know that after Clarence Thomas went through what he did, and they all said, I didn't think it could get any worse than that. This truly has been. 
why is it you can do, you know, first of all, a lifestyle of integrity. And all the witnesses, the Bible says out of the mouth of two or more witnesses, every word's established. You know, that didn't come in the court of law. It was put into the law, our laws, because of Scripture. And that's the basis. One witness, eh, at least it kind of like, eh, this could be a crapshoot on the decision. But when there are two or more witnesses testifying to a crime or something like that, you're, good, you're doing time, more than likely. The prayer in the body of Christ that has gone up for this, just even this election, a selection and nomination, they avail much. Do not be discouraged with that. But this message today isn't just about that. This message is today and from last week. It's about you and I getting back the eye of the tiger. That there's a love of God seen in our eyes, but there's also the lion of the tribe of Judah seen in our eyes by the enemy. He walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, but you and I have the lion of the tribe of Judah on the inside of us. Please stand. <sighs> Father, the heart of David. Wow. <laughs> 